Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Oh, Lord, raise up a culture of honor among us. Amen. Can I get an amen in the house, you that are home? I ran, ran across an obituary recently that I thought I'd share with you. This is, this is for real. Dolores Aguilar, obituary was published in the Albuquerque Journal newspaper, reads like this. Dolores had no hobbies, made no contribution to society, and rarely shared a kind word or deed in her life. I speak for the majority of her family when I say her presence will not be missed by many. Very few tears will be shed, and there will be no lamenting over her passing. Her family will remember Dolores, each with our own memories, which were mostly of sad and troubling times through the years. We may have some fond memories of her, and perhaps we will think of those times too, but I truly believe at the end of the day, all of us will only really miss what we never had, a good, kind mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother. I hope she is finally at peace with herself. As for the rest of us left behind, I hope this is the beginning of a time of healing and learning to be a family again. There will be no service, no prayers, and no closure for the family that she spent a lifetime tearing apart. So I say here for all of us, goodbye, Mom. Wow is right. We're wrapping up a series today, and I opened with that on purpose because I really wanted to get your attention in this last message of the series because the simple truth is we've been talking about honoring uh, our military. We've been talking about honoring those local heroes among us. We've been talking about honoring marriage and our spouses at the end of the day. What I want you to hear me say is the way we live today with any group, every group, the way we live in, in culture, in society, ultimately creates a legacy of honor for all of us. The way we live defines the way we are remembered and the impact is huge in our society. So today, I want to just conclude by talking about what does it take uh, to, to restore a culture of honor, to develop a culture of honor, whatever term you want to use for it. But at the end of the day, beyond, you know, how do you go about honoring certain groups, what does it take for me to be a person of honor? What does it take for you? to be a person of honor. So in the few minutes I've got with you today, I want to talk a little bit about why this is so important beyond Dolores Aguilera's life and legacy. Why is this so important? The scriptures speak to that. And then I want to give you two simple ingredients, two simple but profoundly important, challenging perhaps to live out ingredients or keys to living an honorable life. So let's start with the whys and then we'll get into the house and I won't keep you any longer than I have to today. I really just want to seal this thought in our hearts Hearts. We've been celebrating together for all month, and I'm, I'm excited about your involvement in it. So let's get into it. There are three particular wise or vital things uh, to being a person of honor. And first and foremost, it's that being a, an honorable person ushers in God's favor. At the end of the day, if you want God's favor in your life, a huge key to that is that you be a person of honor. There's so many things in Scripture. I won't outline them all for you, but the, in the Ten Commandments, the, the only one that has a promise attached to it is the one that talks about honoring. Honor your mother and your father, your days will be long on the earth. The law of the harvest. Clearly defined, you reap what you sow. If you want to receive honor, how do you get it? You have to 
plant honor. You give honor, you get honor. And so that's kind of the rule, one of the rules of the universe that God built into the universe when he created it all. But David said it as directly as any particular passage I know in Psalm 84, verse 11. I want us to read it together. It's on the screens. Maybe you're in the Bridge NC app. Go to notes. You can pull it up there and read it from your own screen. But here we go. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows what? favor and honor, no good thing does he withhold from who? From those whose walk is blameless. And I want you to get the picture of that before we go any further. And it is the picture, uh, just imagine if you have kids, that one of your kids comes to you one day and says, mom, dad, I, my highest goal in life is to make you proud. I, I live to honor our family name. And every decision I make in life and every, every relationship that I build in life, I want to be sure that I do it in a way that honors you as my parents and honors our family name in the process. How, how would you respond to them? I mean, after you picked yourself up off the floor, of course. How would you respond to them? Your response would be, what can I do to help? That's, that's all I want from you is for you to be who God made you to be and honor the family name in the journey of that. What can I do to help you? Well, that's exactly how God feels about his children. When we make the commitment to be an honorable people, not just do honorable things, but actually be an honorable people, work toward building a culture of honor in our world, he steps in and bespose, bestows, that's an easy word to say, isn't it? <laughs> A favor and honor. The second reason why this is so important is that, that it ultimately impacts the world. Being a people of honor impacts your world. Believe it or not, everything you do affects the people around you. You know that, right? We talked a couple of years ago, if you were here, about the ripple effect and everything that we do creates this ripple like throwing a stone in a pond and there's a ripple effect all around you. Whether you, you choose whether to be an honorable person and then that choice has a ripple effect across the, the, the people around you like Doris Aguilera that we just read about. She made choices not to be an honorable person and the ripple effect in her case went across children, grandchildren, and even great grandchildren children. So, so let's just talk a little about that for a minute. Let me identify four groups that are in your ripple effect. You may say, well, pastor, I, I don't have that many friends. I don't have a large family. Not that many people are impacted by my life. I mean, I'm, you know, I live alone. I mean, it's, I impact, impact many people. The fact is you have far more impact than you realize. So let me just talk about four groups right quick. Okay. First of all, there's your family. Uh, do your choices impact your family? Whatever your family make up. Yeah, it does. It amazes me phone calls that I've gotten from parents through the years, and I'm sure Pastor Andy would attest to the same thing. Phone calls that we've gotten from parents through the years that we know they may respect us, call us pastor. They may consider, our, you know, this their church, but they don't come and they don't participate and they haven't reared their children in church and, and they kind of live the party scene and they do what they want to do. And then one day their children are 13 or 14 or 15 and they've now gotten in trouble with drugs and they're calling us and saying, I just don't understand how this happened. I don't understand why God did this to me. And it's everything we can do to help them understand that you ultimately reap what you sow, but you don't just reap what you sow in your life. You reap what you sow in your family's life for generations to come. 
Psalm 127, 1, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. You're wasting your time, he says, to build family if you don't put God at the center of it. But I need you to understand that word house in the Hebrew was the word bayeth. And bayeth doesn't talk about the structure, the building, the house that you live in. It talks about the generations that make up a family. Anytime you read the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, the Hebrew culture always thought in multi-generational terms. When God would introduce himself, some of you know your Old Testament, when God would introduce himself, how did he introduce himself? He would say, I am, but then he would say, I am, meaning I am present, I'm past, I'm future. But then he would say, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He always listed generations and he was present in every generation. That's how the Hebrew structure is set up. And so hear me, guys. We've got to stop thinking in one generation at a time. We've got to stop taking a one-generational view of life or ministry or what we do because there's no guarantee that our kids will grow up be honorable. But I can promise you their best shot at growing up honorable is if they see your role model as an honorable person. It's not just true for the individual family. How about cities? You, you do know that cities are just collections of families, right? That, that's all a city is. It's a gathering of families. Proverbs 11, 11 from the message, when right living people bless the city, what happens? It flourishes. On the other hand, evil talk turns, in, turns it into a ghost town in no time at all. I think about so many things when that comes to mind and I think about our culture, I think about our city, I think about Goldsboro, frankly, Wayne County that I've known and loved for 50 none of your business years now. <laughs> and I remember a day when Goldsboro wasn't the third highest violent crime city in the state. I remember a day when a lot of things were different than they seem to be these days. You see, there's an impact that happens, not just in our families, there's an impact that happens in our cities as well. But then what are nations? Cities are just collections of families and nations are just collections of cities and families. That's all it is. And I think about the impact on the nation as well. I remember uh, in my lifetime, there was a day when human beings had intrinsic value you know, what, you know what that word intrinsic means? It means that we were valuable simply because we were created in the image of God. Not because of what we could do or produce or, or whether we were productive in society or we were the smartest or the prettiest or whatever, richest. We had value simply because we were created in God's image. And so, somewhere along the way, that idea of intrinsic value of human life has slipped. find it hard to say without losing it. We've killed 60 million babies in my lifetime in this nation. Ten times the number of people who died in the Holocaust, and we have a nation that has made it a political football. Hear me, guys. The abortion issue is not right or left. It's right or wrong. It's not a political issue. It's a moral issue. Hear me. And then assisted suicide. We now eight states plus the D.C. now has made it legal to, you know, you're at that stage where you're in pain. It's okay. We'll just take you out. 
Is there a price tag for that? For losing the intrinsic value of human life? Yeah, there is. And part of the price tag is our kids go to school with metal detectors now because there's a lowering of the value of of life. And so whether it's families or cities or, or nations, Proverbs 14, 34, God devotion makes a country strong. God avoidance leaves people weak. We love to blame the government for the problems in our nation. And let me say quickly, we do need some godly people running for office. Thank you for some of you that have stood for office or are considering standing for office. We need some godly, honorable people in those positions. But hear me, guys, at the end of the day, the solution starts in our hearts, our homes, our cities. And our hope as a nation is for us to restore a culture of honor that starts with me. Our families are impacted, our cities are impacted, our nations are impacted, and then ultimately, hopeless people are impacted by our decision whether to be an honorable people. First Peter chapter 2, verse 12, people who do not believe are living all around you. Can I get an amen? Yes. Yeah. So live good lives, Peter said. Then they will see the good things you do and they will give glory to God on the day when Christ comes again. Simply put, living honorably helps hopeless people to find hope in Christ. They see the life that you live and they're more inclined to come to know the Jesus that you love because of the honorable life that you live. And so the more you live honorably, the more people want to become that kind of people who follow Jesus, the stronger the culture becomes. You see, it becomes a cycle of life rather than a cycle of death. Somebody said there are two reasons that many people reject Christ. One is because they've never met a Christian. Second is because they have. I shudder to think that anybody missed heaven because they fixed their eyes on me and I wasn't living an honorable life. Creating a culture of honor ushers in God's favor. It, it impacts our world, our families, our cities, our nation, the hopeless around us. And something that's been on my mind a lot in recent years is ultimately it ensures our legacy. It ensures our Legacy. I am as passionate about ministry as I've ever been. I love coming to work. I love being working with this staff and working with you. I love what the bridge is doing in the world. I'm excited about it. We met with the board this week and said, guys, if y'all have me, I'll stick around. And they said, yeah, okay, we'll have you. And so I'm thrilled about that. But I ain't kidding nobody. I'm in the fourth quarter. I went back to Arctic Blonde a few years, David. <laughs> but that don't mean we ain't got no game left, brother. Come on. So you find yourself thinking about your legacy a lot. What legacy am I leaving behind for Proverbs 11, 5 and 6? Solomon said, moral character makes for smooth traveling. I love that. An evil life is a hard life. Good character is the best insurance. What did Solomon say is the best insurance? Say it with me. Good character. There's incredible confidence, boldness that comes from knowing that you ain't got nothing to hide. There are no skeletons in the closet. It doesn't mean we're perfect. None of us are perfect. It means that, you know, what is insurance for? 
Insurance is shared risk, right? And so, so you know calamity might come, but you got something's got your back's going to help you when that when that flood comes or that fire damage comes. The insurance company steps in and helps you out. That's what insurance is. And so, what Solomon's saying: the best insurance for living is a good character, which means that you earn trust, you earn credits with people. So when you do mess up, like you do and you do and I do, and then we own up. We've got an insurance policy that says, I know that's not consistent with who you are. Everybody trips now and then. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, give you a chance to come and make that right. It's the best insurance there possibly is, which is why one of my goals for years stated has always been, I want those who know me best to respect me most. Anybody can impress a crowd for a while. Somebody else said it this way, if you're posing all the time, you will eventually forget which pose to strike and you'll strike out. Come on. Proverbs 10, 9, the honest person will live in safety, but the dishonest will be caught. I got to move on. When we focus on building a culture of honor, though, of being a people of honor. It ushers in God's favor. It impacts families, cities, nations, and the hopeless around us and ultimately establishes a legacy for the ages. I love it when somebody says, Pastor, that was a great message. Boy, you really spoke to me. Or somebody comes back six months or a year later and says, man, when you said this, I've really pondered that and the Holy Spirit put me on a trajectory and I thank you for giving me direction. I love that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, I know my sermons are like manna from heaven, which means they are fresh, but they rot after 24 hours. I get that. I know. What I want for you to say at the end of the day is I believe he was a man of integrity. I believe he was an honorable man. So let's shift gears. How, how do we make sure that we are in fact an honorable people? What do we do practically day by day, moment by moment to ensure that we're being honorable people and in the process creating a culture of honor. I'm going to put it this way, maybe more accurately. What do we have to be sure to guard against because the natural tendency is to not do this. And so, you know, in our nature, in our flesh, we would get drawn into to some of these things. What do we need to guard against to make sure we don't get drawn into them in order that we can uh, be an honorable people, and I think there's just two areas. I'm going to tell you what those two are, and we'll talk about them. They simply are the way we talk and the way we live. If you can guard against those two things, the way you talk and the way you live, you may very well usher in God's favor. You may very well impact your city, your nation, your family, and the hopeless around you. You may very well leave a legacy for the ages if you'll just guard the way you talk and the way you live. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Hope you have a good lunch. Or we could unpack that for a minute. Let's do. You've got to speak honorably in order to be honorable. Let me get specific in three areas of speech, okay? 
First of all, honorable people tell the truth. Say it with me. Honorable people tell the truth. Come on. Honorable people tell the truth. One more time. Honorable people tell the truth. Proverbs 12, 22. Again, from the message. I love the devotional language of the message. It is not a word for word translation. Don't do word studies in the message. But if you want to read devotionally and just let words kind of create word pictures, the message is a wonderful translation or, or paraphrase of the scriptures. Uh, for you to read, and so sometimes I love it. It paints those pictures, Proverbs 12, 22, God can't stomach liars. Is that a word picture? He loves the company of those who keep their word. Come on, Solomon, tell me how God really feels. <laughs> That's pretty straightforward, wouldn't you say? You might be familiar with the famous Mark Twain quote, one thing about living honorably is you don't have to have a long memory. There's not a man alive smart enough to be a successful liar for a long term. Eventually, you're going to forget what you told someone somewhere and trip over your own lies. Not to mention God can't stomach a liar. Jesus said, let your yea actually mean yea. Let your no actually mean no. I say if you want to establish a culture of honor, you got to be willing to tell the truth. Now, the second area of this is that does not give you permission to throw up truth on people. Blech. Here's my pet peeve. And the Bible says I'm supposed to tell you the truth. So here we go. Brace yourself. I'm about to tell you the truth. Paul actually said to the church at Ephesus, chapter 4, uh, verse 15 and verse 29, from the International Children's Bible. So it's simple, third grade level. We all get it. Here we go. We will speak the truth with? With what? With love. Verse 29, when you talk, do not say harmful things, but say what people, what's the word? Need. Words that will help others become stronger then you will say, you will, what you say will help those who listen. Hear me, telling the truth, being a truth teller is not about proving people wrong. It's not about making your point in an argument and winning the argument. It's about loving somebody enough to tell them a truth that they need to know in order to grow. That, that's what it's about. And so your motive behind telling the truth has to be checked, not just your words. Why am I about to speak this truth is just as important as what truth you're about to speak. Well, Jim, I hear you, but, but I'm hurt. I'm mad. What they did was wrong. What they didn't do was, was wrong. What they did was, it hurt me and they need to know. Well, maybe they do. But before you become the truth teller, you got to pray that God will cool your heart and change your motives so you're not the person to tell them. Do I need to say that again? Yeah. 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 But Jim, you, you don't know what they did. An, and they need to know the truth. They need to know. And I'm protecting other people that they might do it to. You know, I love that one. I, who are these other people? I don't know. I just need to protect them. Before you tell them the truth, you got to stop and say, God, cool my heart and check my motive for telling this truth. And if your motive isn't pure, you ain't the one to say it.
your prayer becomes God sends somebody they can hear and receive so that they will learn what they need to learn. In other words, honorable people don't just check their words, they check their motive. Why am I about to speak this truth? And if my motive is not to build up, then I'm going to shut up. Don't you say that one again? If my motive is not to build up, then I'm going to shut up. This is hard stuff, guys. This is, not, this is not just out there in the world, them worldly people. This is us. This is us. The third area is the biggest of the three. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 24. Don't talk out of both sides of your mouth. Avoid careless banter, white lies, and what's that last word? Can we skip that one? In fact, Proverbs says that there are six, six things that God hates. We'll talk about that in the going deeper section this week. If you've been logging on to our Facebook on Tuesday evenings or not, when we go deeper, I, I take another 10 or 15 minutes and just kind of unpack in a lot more detail some of the things from the Sunday morning sermon. If you haven't, do that, haven't done that, let me encourage you to go to the Bridge Facebook page on Tuesday evenings at 7 or after that. The recordings are there, and we're just calling it Going Deeper in the Word with Pastor Jim. I hope you take advantage of that. But, but for now, just hear this. Honorable people don't say one thing to one person and somebody else, something else to another. They just don't do that. They don't pretend to be your friend and then throw you under the bus when it's convenient. The honorable people don't do that. Honorable people don't speak carelessly. They weigh the impact of their words before they speak. They don't tell white lies if there is such a thing. They don't stretch the truth to impress or to win a point. Honorable people don't do that. Bottom, bottom line, honorable people don't gossip. Well, let's make sure we understand what gossip is because every now and then I'll run across somebody who's been in church all their lives and they don't even understand what gossip is. They say, well, you know, so, well, you're gossiping. No, well, this is the truth. Well, it may be the truth, but gossip goes a little further than that. Let me give you my favorite definition of gossip. It's as clear as anyone I know, and that is simply this. Gossip is talking to someone who is neither part of the problem nor part of the solution. Think about that for a minute. Gossip is talking to someone who is neither part of the problem nor part of the solution. Think about that for a minute. I'm going to unpack it for you. But gossip is thinking, is talking to someone who is neither part of the problem nor the solution. So here's what happens. You, you, you become aware of a situation or you get hurt by a situation or, you, or you, here's a truth that, that's eating you alive and you feel like you need to talk about it and you don't know who to talk about or, or whether you should talk about it. You, you get a box and you call it the problem box. I got a problem, need to talk about it. I'm going to put everybody who is either part of this problem, in other words, they help cause the problem, or I'm asking them to get involved because they're going to help solve the problem and we're all going to get in the box together with a goal of closing the box you tracking with me so if somebody's not part of the problem they didn't help cause the problem or they're not being brought in to bring a solution to the problem pastor would you come join us and help us arbitrate this thing small group leader would you come help us mediate this thing you know prayer uh, intercessory prayer person would you come and, and join us and pray together two or three agree is touching anything if you're not if you're not part of that group they're bringing in to help solve the problem then you got you're, you got no business talking to them about it it's gossip the bible's pretty clear god hates 
gossip because of the damage that it ultimately does. Honorable people work to close the box. They're not drama queens or drama kings. They're not, they're not victims looking for somebody to cast blame on or to rescue them from their plight. They don't tell other people's stories because it's not their story to tell. If there's a problem, they create a box. They decide who appropriate belongs in that box and that's the only people that they talk with about. Is that challenging? Any honest people in the room? That's challenging. But that's what honorable people do according to scriptures. I mean, the more likely story is somebody tells you something juicy and it's really juicy and it's really good. And so you're just going to share a prayer request. So somebody comes to you and says, oh, I, you know, I, I, don't know, I don't know if you know this or not, but oh, wait a minute. Oh, time out. Are you telling me that I'm part of the problem or are you asking me to become part of the solution? I've had this conversation with, with Christian people and said, you've you got to stop them. As soon as you have a sense this is what's going to happen, you stop them and say, am I part of the problem or are you asking me to become part of the solution? Well, I just want you to pray. Talk to the hand girlfriend because <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I ain't getting drawn into gossip. Just I can't hear it. Because here's what happens is, is you get in bondage to information that you can't do anything with. And that bondage eventually builds up and it comes out whether you meant it to or not at the least opportune moment. And before you know it, you have become complicit in the gossip you've done told somebody else because you can't carry it around any longer. Is this making sense to anybody? Not to mention the fact that it grows as we go. You've heard the old story about the two neighbors talking across the fence and one neighbor tells the other neighbor he's telling a story and it's, you know, it's getting really good and juicy and he finally says, oh, I got to stop. I got to stop. I can't tell you anymore. So the neighbor says, well, don't stop now. It's just really getting good. And the first neighbor said, well, you know, I've already told you more than I heard. Uh, <laughs> so here's what happens, you know, well, just y'all pray. Here's what's going on. Mary's marriage is in trouble. Y'all pray. And so the next person has a conversation with somebody else. Says, well, have you heard the prayer request? Understand Mary's husband's beating her these days. Y'all pray. Before you know it, social media's got the police going over to Mary's house on a domestic call. If you don't have permission to tell it, it ain't your story. If you don't have permission to tell it, it ain't your story. Had a couple come to me many years ago. Thankfully, I learned this lesson without having to pay the price for it, but I learned a lesson that night. They, they called late one night. Remember, the church called late one Saturday night, said, Pastor, is there any way that you and Kim could meet with a couple friend of ours? Their marriage is in crisis. And, and so we agreed, and they came over to the house, and we sat down midnight on a Saturday night. She had walked into his little office in the house, and he was looking at Internet pornography, and it threw them into crisis in the moment. So Kim took the lady into one room and I took the guy into another room and we talked to them for a while and, and then I brought them together and began to talk with them. And it's, it's, as we got through, of course, I always eventually turned the conversation to the Lord and their relationship with the Lord and his role in their life and marriage. And, and, uh, and they said, oh yeah, well, we're, we're Christians. We're, we're fully engaged in, in the life of our church. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, you're, you're part of our church family? No, 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 we're, we're part of such and such a church. And they named a church up the road. And I said, well, you know, I'm honored to help you through this kind of triage moment, but you really need to talk to your pastor. 
And so let me encourage you, first thing Monday morning, give him a call and let him walk through this with you. And they said, oh, we could never do that. Because if we talk to him, then we will be the story next Sunday in his sermon. And our church is small enough that everybody would know who he's talking about. We could never talk to him about what's going on in our lives. And in that moment, I found myself flashing back on 20 years of preaching. Have I done that? Have I told stories that won't nobody's business? Because it was a good illustration and I so really work hard. Kim's probably the only one that I have to get forgiveness sometimes because I will say, can I tell that story? Do I have your permission to share that story? You know, because I want to be sure I'm not violating that confidence. They ultimately came to our church and became a part of our church family, but that's not the way I want to win members. Are you hearing me? Honorable people guard what they say. They speak honorably. They speak the truth. They make sure they're speaking it from a motive of love and they guard against gossip, either spreading it or even receiving it. The second element, and I'll bring this to a close, is they live honorably. They just, they live honorably. Proverbs 2.15, do everything readily and cheerfully, no bickering, no second guessing allowed, go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society, provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Let me read the last sentence again. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Honorable people live in such a way that they're not walking around whining and complaining all the time about how horrible life is and how miserable life is and, and I'm just a victim of everybody and they're just complaining all the time and blaming all the time and people say well if that's what the Christian life is I don't think I want any of that instead they become role models of grace I've shared with some of you before I was doing business with the bank one time and 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 the banker said how are you doing Mr. Wall and he said I, and I said you know I'm so blessed it's embarrassing and he said oh really things are going that well for you huh and I said well I didn't actually say that <laughs> My being blessed has nothing to do with my circumstance in life. And he said, oh, it's a state of mind. He didn't understand, but some of you do. You see, I understand that I am the, am the recipient of undeserved grace. I have received the grace of God. I am most blessed no matter what circumstance I find myself in. Can I get an amen? And when you get that, when you focus on that, and that becomes the center of your being and the center of your conversation and the center of the way you live, then you actually become a role model for other people so that they can receive grace as well. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. His name is Jesus Christ. It is the best invitation 
we ever received. It is the best invitation we ever received. Can I say it one more time? It is the best invitation we ever received. Can I get an amen from anybody in this house? The best invitation I ever received is grace is available to you, but you don't understand what I've done. That's irrelevant. Grace is available to you, but you don't understand how far I've gone. That's irrelevant. Grace is available to you, but you know what's going on in my life right now? That ain't got nothing to do with nothing. Grace is available to to you because of what Jesus did on Calvary. It's yours. Yes. So if you're sitting in this room or you're watching online right now and you haven't been the recipient of grace, understand the best invitation you've ever received is the one that I'm offering you right now. As ambassador of Jesus Christ, it's an invitation to receive grace and walk in grace and become a gracious person living an honorable life that ultimately impacts your family, your city, your nation, and the hopeless around us. I got to close. Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade, wrote an article a number of years ago, and I pull it out every now and then just to remind myself. I thought I'd share it with you this morning. Perhaps some of you have heard it. He said, have you ever noticed the ripple effects of a stone thrown into a lake or pond? The effects of that stone seem to just keep on going and going and going. It's the same with our lives. The ripple effects of who we are and what we do and say also keep going and going and going in ways we could never imagine. Max Jukes lived in New York. He did not put his faith in Jesus. He refused to take his children to church even when they asked to go. At last count, he's had 1,026 descendants. 300 went to prison for an average term of 13 years. 190 were public prostitutes. 680 were admitted alcoholics. When this story was written, his family had cost the state more than $420,000. They made no contribution to society. Jonathan Edwards lived in the same state at the same time. He loved the Lord and saw that his children were in church every Sunday as he served the Lord to the best of his ability. He's had 929 descendants. Of these, 430 were ministers. 86 became university professors. 13 became university presidents. 75 published authors. Five were elected to the United States Congress and two to the Senate. One became vice president of the United States. His family never cost the state one cent, but has contributed immeasurably to this great nation. There is one big difference between the ripple effects of a stone thrown into a lake and the ripple effects of our lives. In a pond, they get smaller and smaller and smaller. In life, they get bigger and bigger and bigger. I'll ask you simply to pray a prayer with me. Oh God, help us to be an honorable people. Would you join me in that prayer? Jesus, thank you for the invitation 
to receive grace. And I pray simply in the quietness of this moment that you're speaking to everyone who's listening. Holy Spirit drawing us to God as you offer us grace. We'll receive that grace. Thank you for that grace. Embrace that grace and live in that grace, thereby becoming gracious people, honorable people. Lord, for anyone who's listening to this prayer right now who's never done it before, I pray that you'd give them the quiet assurance that you've heard their prayer, you've heard their acceptance of your invitation. You've given them a fresh start today as they confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that you are in fact the Lord. Then for all of us, Lord, help us to speak honorably. Let every conversation be one that points back to you. When we speak the truth, help us to speak it in love in a way that solves problems rather than explodes them. Help us to live an honorable life that leaves a legacy until you come, impacting families and cities and nations, and perhaps most importantly, the hopeless around us. Thank you for offering that favor to us. We accept. Jesus, you know who's praying, you know exactly what's going on in their lives. Maybe there's some of us in this room that if in this quiet, honest moment, they're saying, you know, I haven't always done that. I haven't always spoken honorably. I haven't actually lived honorably in some ways. What about me? Grace is available to you. You just have to ask him for it. Bible says if you'll confess your sins, he's faithful to forgive your sins. He'll give you a fresh start today. But don't leave this room. Don't turn your TV or computer off without stopping and saying, Lord, forgive me. Give me a fresh start today. Help me to be an honorable person in the way I live. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen.